This is the Model Railway Show. I'm Trevor Marshall. And I'm Jim Martin. Welcome to the little show with big ideas. Our big idea is a shorter, more focused podcast, one that inspires without keeping you too long away from the core purpose of the hobby making things. That's right, Jim. Today's inspiration will come from model freight car guru Richard Hendrickson about the rise of an important community within the hobby, those who are passionate about modeling accurate rolling stock. We'll also talk with Morgan Turney, who was inspired to start his own exclusively Canadian model railway magazine, and he did it during the depths of a recession. Morgan will tell us how Canadian railway modeler is still going strong after nearly two decades. Also, we're going to throw in some vintage poetry to more fully feed your mind. But first, here's Trevor and his guest with chapter and verse on prototypically correct model freight cars. There was a time when model railway hobbyists accepted that a boxcar was a Pennsylvania model or a Santa Fe model because that's how it came painted from the hobby shop. That's no longer the case. Today, even modelers in niche scales have a selection of prototypically correct freight cars to fill their yards. And if you model an HO scale, the choice is staggering. While the age-old maxim of it's my layout and I'll run what I like still applies, many hobbyists enjoy the subtle and not-so-subtle variations in detail that accurate rolling stock brings to a model railway. If you're one of those people, you can thank the freight car historian. This is a special breed of model railway enthusiast. These historians research the creation and evolution of rolling stock by builders and by the railroads that use them, and then they share their knowledge through books and through scratch-built or kit-bashed models. Many also work with manufacturers to bring accurate models to market, to help the rest of us do better, too. One of the best-known freight car historians is Richard Hendrickson. Richard first became seriously interested in freight cars in the 1960s and has become a fixture at prototype modelers' meets and on news groups such as Steam Era Freight Cars. His articles have graced several magazines over the years, and he has authored or co-authored several books on freight cars, including works on billboard refrigerator cars and the cars of the Great Northern and the Santa Fe. And his encyclopedic knowledge of the subject has earned him the well-deserved nickname, Mr. Freight Car. Welcome to the Model Railway Show, Richard. Thank you, Trevor. I'm glad to be here. Now, prototype modeling of freight cars has come a long way in a relatively short time. For most of us, it was a curiosity as recently as the 1980s, but it's now a very popular and influential pursuit in the hobby today. How did accurate freight car modeling hit critical mass like this? Well, I think uh, part of it certainly was the the fact that a great deal of information became available. A lot of photos, a lot of data gradually emerged, and as it gradually emerged, the manufacturers began to pay attention. And in fact, I think what they discovered was if they if they produced a model and it wasn't correct, they heard about it. They heard about it from people who had the information to do it right. In my own case, I became interested because I was trying to model a particular location on the Santa Fe. And I knew that the Santa Fe had a great many, not only its own freight cars, but a great many foreign road cars that, that came into Southern California at that time. In those days, the conventional wisdom was that nobody took pictures of freight cars in the 30s and 40s. Now, I'm, I happen to have a PhD, not in anything related to the railroad, but I'm a trained researcher, and I said, wait a minute, that's got to be wrong. And in fact, it was. I started discovering people, Will Whitaker, for example. I found that Will had some freight car pictures, uh, called him up, went to see him, and uh, spent two days there going through album after album. 
And I think that was the experience of some other people as well. They, they simply found there was a lot of information out there and uh, started rounding it up and making it available. Now, you mentioned that accurately modeling a specific place was something that you wanted to do. Is that one of the reasons people are attracted to accurately modeling freight cars, or what's the appeal? I think the, the appeal particularly of freight cars is, is mostly that what we remember, those of us who were around in the steam era, was first of all the diversity of design, even, even after designs were standardized. There was a lot of non-standard variation. And also the diversity of owners. You know, you'd, you'd stand by the railroad and watch a freight train go by and there, there was everything in there. You'd, you'd see these slogans, you know, Lackawanna, Root of the Phoebe Snow, and you'd wonder who in the world was Phoebe Snow? <laughs> Uh, Many of us are still wondering that. Well, yeah, <laughs> I suppose so. <laughs> well, every car is different, or not every car, of course, but uh, there were vast differences. And and regardless of what railroad you decided to model, you could model a whole lot of different freight cars from other railroads. And so that was something of a challenge. And speaking of challenges, many of the best-known freight car modelers, yourself included, and the manufacturers that cater to people like you, have picked subjects from the first half of the 20th century. And when I think of manufacturers of accurate freight cars, Sunshine Models and Westerfield are two examples that just come immediately to mind. And those are the areas that they concentrate on. What are some of the challenges to accurately modeling freight cars from the steam era? Well, the challenges are certainly much less than they once were, and and we owe that to people like Martin Lofton at Sunshine and Al Westerfield, Al and Patricia, who are, by the way, in the process of retiring, which leaves us worrying a little bit about uh, what we're going to have down the road in the way of uh, freight car kits. But it was vastly more challenging even as recently as 10 or 20 years ago. Now there are so many resin kits and, of course, injection molded plastic kits, and we're getting a lot of so-called ready to run cars now that are highly accurate. So it's very much easier to uh, model cars from the steam era. I think the real challenges that lie ahead in freight car modeling are uh, modeling cars from the 60s and 70s on up into the 80s because that area has not been nearly as intensively mined, let's say, as uh, the steam era. So you think that's something that manufacturers might move to as they exhaust steam era subjects? Or I guess it would take a, a manufacturer who had a passion for it because you have to have that interest in order to take it on. Well, that's absolutely true, but we're already seeing that uh, beginning to happen as uh, new manufacturers enter the field. Many of them are, are younger people who don't remember the steam era. I had an interesting experience at the Santa Fe Convention last summer. I was doing a clinic on the steam locomotives of the Santa Fe, and I looked around the room. There were 40-some people there, and I said, I'd like to ask those of you who remember steam and revenue service to raise your hands. And there were five hands raised out of a group of 40. Those of us who still really remember the steam era are getting pretty advanced in age. Younger people do want to model a steam era, but I think the motive for many of us in model railroading is to recreate the railroad as remember it in our adolescence. Sort of and when we first got our encounter with the railroad. That's exactly right. That was certainly my motivation. I grew up around the Santa Fe, and of course, steam locomotives were fascinating machines. And the railroad people in those days were very friendly, and they let me come up in the locomotive cab. I had some cab rides, and you know, it was something that. Uh, 
to for an adolescent. I mean, that stuff really turns you on. Now, is it recreating that memory that is the inspiration for you to accurately model this stuff, or is it uh, a desire to create a specific concept that you see in a photograph or on a switch list, or what? What drives you to model accurate freight cars? Well, it's trying to recreate the the railroad as I remember it, and of course, memories from fifty years ago are pretty vague. But if you are trained as a researcher, as I am, you tend to say, well, let's see what that thing really looked like. And you start digging, and pretty soon you find that uh, there's a vast amount of information out there. Now, you mentioned that you expect to see more modern modelers taking on the projects of the 60s and 70s and 80s. Is that what you see as the next frontier for the freight car historian? Has the steam era been well covered, or are there particular classes of cars in the steam era that could use more attention? There are always steam era cars that we haven't researched fully and that we'd like to have models of. But as I said earlier, I think those of us who really remember the steam era, we're we're getting to a pretty advanced age, and we're going to continue doing what we're interested in. But the younger people in the hobby are, I think, going to pursue more research in in the 60s and 70s and on up. And I think manufacturers are going to respond to that and I, because I think that's where the demand is really going to be in the next, say, 20 or 30 years. I suppose that the Internet has been a great help for doing research and sharing findings and things like that. But obviously, when you started doing this in the 60s, the Internet was not even a dream. How difficult was it to get the information and then share it back then? Well, of course, it was more difficult. For a while, I did a little quarterly newsletter, which I mimeographed and mailed out to people on the mailing list. But the photo collectors were out there, the people who had photographed freight cars. Gradually, I found out who they were, and I just began collecting. I have to tell you that at this point, I have more than 30,000 images of freight cars built between the turn of the century and 1950. Some of those are builder's photographs, but the majority of them are in-service photos that other people took. I took some of them myself, but uh, the vast amount of my collection consists of photos that were taken by other people all over the country. That's fantastic. And now, of course, that we do have the Internet, we we have what I think of as the grapevine. It's now to the point where, with the Steam Era freight car list, if there's information I need or photos I need that I don't have, I can get on there, and it's not at all unusual for me to get within 15 minutes or half an hour a response from somebody at the other end who says, oh, I have that and I'll scan it for you. But, you know, I'm fond of quoting a line from an old Carly Simon song where she says, just stay right here because these are the good old days. And I think for us freight car modelers, that's pretty much true. We have so much more to, to work with and so much more information to work with than we had even 10, 20 years ago. That's not to say that I, I think things aren't going to improve because I think improvement is it's a strong motivation for manufacturers. And you're right. It really is. The good old days are right now, aren't they? Yeah, I think that's right. Richard, thanks for joining us on the Model Railway Show today. It's been a pleasure. Well, it's been a pleasure talking to you, Trevor, and uh, maybe we can do it again. I hope so. My guest has been Richard Hendrickson, and we've been talking about the evolution of the freight car modeler and historian. Thanks, Trevor. Richard mentioned Phoebe Snow in your chat. Now, that musical name stands out among Steam-era boxcar slogans. Phoebe was, of course, an early 20th century advertising icon for the Lackawanna Railroad. Because they used hard coal in their locomotives, which burned cleaner than the sooty bituminous coal of other roads, they invented Phoebe to tell the public about it. Says Phoebe Snow, about to go upon a trip to Buffalo. 
My gown stays white from morn to night upon the road of anthracite. See the arcane stuff that model railroading can teach you, Trevor. For sure, Jim. Sooty clothes were a fact of life back in the days of steam locomotives and open coach windows, so cleaner burning coal was a big deal. Here's another ditty. Phoebe says, and Phoebe knows, that smoke and cinders spoil good clothes. Tis thus a pleasure and delight to take the road of anthracite. The Lackawanna may be gone, but Phoebe lives on. Next up on the show, a man who wrote his own ticket when, metaphorically speaking, his employer threw him off the train. Here's Jim. Most of our wider audience out there in the world may not have heard of Canadian Railway Modeler magazine, but it's well known throughout Canada. We'd like you to know more about this tough little survivor. This glossy color publication is delivered to expectant readers six times a year. It's now heading into its 18th year, and I'm proud to say that as a charter subscriber, I have every issue. It's often said that necessity is the mother of invention. If you were to unravel the DNA of Canadian Railway Modeler magazine, you'd likely find a few of those necessity genes. Here's a magazine that grew out of personal loss and was launched in the depths of a worldwide recession. With us now to talk about the history of Canadian Railway Modeler, as well as its present and future, is its founder and editor and my good friend, Morgan Turney. Morgan, welcome to the Model Railway Show. Well, thanks, Jim. Uh, It's nice to be here, and uh, hello to all your listeners. Well, congratulations for making CRM work. You just passed the 100th issue plateau. That's got to be a really special feeling. Yeah, it's kind of amazing when you think about it, all the, all the trials and tribulations we've been through and all the wonderful people we've met. Uh, yeah, we're still around. Well, you have quite a story to tell about its founding. I know it, but I'd like you to share it with our listeners. Uh, just to set this up, your employer back in the late 80s moved you to another city and then pulled the, the job out from under you. Can you fill in the spaces for us a little? Well, that was back in the days when there were hostile takeovers, and uh, the company I worked for was hostily taken over, so I was out of a job. And rather than move back to southern Ontario, where I came from, I decided to try and make something and make a goal of it out here in Manitoba. And I had several, you know, sort of sideline jobs. And But I'd always wanted and always felt that Canada needed its own model train magazine because, of course, the Americans have had, at that time, they had six or seven, maybe eight of them all together. And I thought that Canada might support a model railroad magazine. So I decided to try it and start one. Well, had you been thinking about it before you lost your full-time job? No, I hadn't. Uh, I went into a, my local hobby shop here one day when I was unemployed and and a brand new magazine appeared on the shelf. It was in the HO scale. So I bought it and looked through it. Didn't see any uh, Canadian content in it. Then about six weeks later, uh, a new N scale magazine came out. So I bought it and looked through it. Still didn't see any uh, Canadian content. So I thought to myself, well, if they're bringing out these new model train magazines the way they are, then why not take a third one out and make it Canadian? And that's how Canadian Railway Modeler was in, ended up being born. That was about 1988, 89. Well, I got to tell you, Morgan, I think your decision not to extend the magazine financially in the early going ensured its survival. Would you agree with that? Oh, oh yes. There was always difficulties with some people, uh, for lack of a better term, paying their bills. So I had an agreement with my printer that we wouldn't print the next issue until the previous one was completely paid for. Because it's always the printer at the end of the line that never gets paid. Everybody else gets paid but the printer. So I made sure the printer got paid. Well, it's interesting. I recall Manning, uh, one of the Canadian Railway Modeler booths in Toronto early on, and I had a very hostile subscriber come up to me and say, What's with this magazine? I've been waiting more than two months for my issue. And I explained to him, I said, you know, Morgan's 
protecting your investment. You've subscribed for six issues. You're going to get six issues, even if it takes a year and a half. And I think he walked away with a better understanding of what you were doing then. Yeah, that's good. You know what? Uh, in this country, because we're so so spread out and our population is so small compared to the Americans, that it's very difficult to reach people uh, properly uh, the way that uh, we need to be reaching them. You mentioned, of course, the mandate for CRM is to deliver a magazine that's 100% Canadian content. That would be Canadian prototype articles and plans and Canadian advertisers. Has that proved limiting in any way? Not really. The idea of the marketing portion, the advertising portion of the magazine, was meant to attract Canadian manufacturers. For them to advertise in the American magazines was astronomical in cost. So we provided that for them. And as it turns out, there's uh, been more and more Canadian manufacturers come on board and, and actually come into existence making stuff for us Canadian modelers than there's ever been uh, in the past. Do you think that's that's not an accident, I'll bet. Uh, do, you, do you think uh, your magazine had anything to do with this? I don't like to be a bragger and boaster, but certainly uh, for them to have an audience that they can reach through uh, print media certainly helped. I, I know it helped a lot of them, and I've been told uh, a couple of times that, you know, if it wasn't for your magazine, I wouldn't be in business. So, as I said, w- without bragging and boasting about about it. I'm, I'm pretty convinced that if it wasn't for Canadian Railway Modeler magazine, a lot of these Canadian manufacturers wouldn't be where they are today. You have an interesting way of identifying your, your various uh, issues. Uh, y- your very first issue was called Train 1, uh, Track 1. I think you're up to uh, Train 17 now. But I think what really defined the magazine on that very first issue was an article by Claire Gilbert. Now, some people may not know Claire, but he's behind the excellent line of Sylvan products, the resin cars and uh, rolling stock and that. But Claire Claire had an article on how to build a baggage sleigh, not a baggage wagon, but a baggage sleigh. And I thought, well, gee, how Canadian is that? The Great White North, the very first issue, you've got a baggage sleigh in there. I met Claire years and years ago when I used to live in London, and we've been good friends for a long time. And when he heard that we were putting this magazine together, he said he wanted to do an article for us on a baggage sleigh. And I said, what the heck is a baggage sleigh? So he explained to me what it was. And I said, yeah, that's really Canadian because of all the snow and stuff that we get. Yeah, so send it in, Claire. So sure enough, he sent it in. And we published it, and we got lots of mail on that one. They really liked it. Well, thank you to you and Claire for uh, perpetuating the Canadian myth of uh, 12 months a year winter there. Uh, well, well, just just to let you know, in our latest issue, which was Train 17, Track 5, actually, we had an article in there about about making a beaver pond. Now, how many train magazines are going to show you how to make a beaver pond that the tracks run by? Question is, do we have any HO scale beavers? <laughs> no, at the time, there wasn't, but there are now. You oh, good, good, good. You've got to have one of them. Well, you know, the magazine, uh, still sticking with your premier issue. It had a strong launch because there's a lot of well-known names in Canadian modeling. Guys like Patrick Lawson and Bob Boudreau, John Morris, Bob and Peter Winterton. Uh, there's there's a couple of guys that have been in great model railroads so they're known in, in the U.S. and elsewhere. Guys that have been widely published in American magazines. How hard was it to scare up all this talent to, to get that magazine launched? Well, it wasn't it wasn't all that difficult, actually, because I knew most of these fellas from when I used to go to train shows in Ontario, and so certainly some of them uh, now I go to train shows out here in the West. So it wasn't difficult when, uh, for them to uh, help help me out with this. Once they heard that there was a Canadian model train magazine came out, of course, they all wanted to help out and make sure that they were in it. So in, in that respect, I really appreciated all the help that they gave us. There's been other big names since. I'm thinking of guys like Stafford Swain. Oh, yeah. 
yeah, yeah. We've had Stafford in there a couple of times. In fact, we just did a cover on his layout not so long ago, and several modelers from right across Canada, and even some of the big ones in the States, have submitted stuff to us that we've used. Well, Canadian Railway Modeler was a very early adopter of the Internet. Were you one of the first magazines to have a web guide of uh, interesting URLs? We went on the Internet, I think, uh, when it first sort of started in 1991 or 92, and uh, it was just developed very quickly, sort of uh, off the cuff. It wasn't all the huge web designers that there are today. And my goodness, that's been a blessing in disguise, having that website up. And model railroaders are funny. They don't like change. So we don't change the website. We just keep adding to it. What are you currently up to with uh, CRM? Do you have any uh, problem getting contributions? No, we don't have any trouble getting contributions at all, actually. Uh, I have an associate editor, John Longhurst, who combs uh, the internet for, for layout articles and anybody that is interested in doing some stuff for the magazine. And he's very good at compiling stories for us. So there's certainly um, no lack of article material to put in the magazine. But more is always better. Oh, yeah. It's yeah. nice to have a, something in the can that you can always go to. Yeah. And certainly at times I'm looking for a one-pager, so I've got an, a, a file here with one-page articles that we've drummed up over the years, and we just stick one of those in, and it works good. In addition to Canadian Railway Modeler, your company, North Caledonia Publications, also offers a variety of books and products. But the one thing I know you're going to want to plug before leaving is your new magazine. I say new. It's got, what, about a year now, a year and a half? Rail Fan Canada. Tell us a little bit about that. I've always been a, a, a rail fan uh, in my heart, and when we started Canadian Railway Modeler, I had a dream of doing a prototype magazine alongside of it, but uh, it took a long time to get the uh, idea to actually flourish, and then I found uh, an editor who said that uh, she was interested in editing it, and so we began to develop Rail Fan Canada magazine, as it turns out, it's been very well received by the Rail Fan community in Canada. Yeah, you mentioned female editors. There's not a lot of them around in the model railway press, is there? No, there's not a lot of females around, but she's a very good photographer herself and takes wonderful rail fan photos. Uh, she's good at editing. Uh, she's got a way with words. And she can uh, put one of these articles together that our contributors sent to us in a jiffy. And uh, she's very good at what she does. Hats off to Suzanne. Morgan Turney, thanks so much for being with us uh, today. Uh, I'm afraid we're running out of time here. I know you're a TH&B fan. Do you get any time to model that road anymore? <laughs> well, I do because you know what? I take Thursday nights now and that's model night. So I put all the magazine stuff aside and that's what I do for two or three hours on Thursday evening. Good man. you got to take care of yourself as well. Morgan Turney, thank you so much. Uh, best of luck in the future with uh, Canadian Railway Modeler and Railfan Canada. Thanks, Jim. Well, that about wraps up the chatter and the poetry this time around. You can find links to the discussions you've just heard and learn more about Phoebe Snow if you'd like by checking out the links on our website, themodelrailwayshow.com. Find us on Facebook, too. Next time around, we'll say hello once more to Tony Custer as he talks about the 2011 edition of Model Railroad Planning. And Jeff Young of Garden Railways Magazine answers the question, what do live steam operators do in the winter? Now, this is the part where we thank the rest of our team, but this time out we want to give an extra special holler to Dave Woodhead, who gave us our theme song. You bet. Dave's latest album is out. It's called Confabulation. You can find a link to Dave and his great music on our website. Just get yourself over to the About the Show page. An additional note about Dave, he's a fantastic narrow-gauge modeler. You'll see pictures of his work popping onto our site from time to time. Thanks also to Otto Vondrack for our website design and to fellow railroad modeler Chris Abbott for his technical expertise. For Jim Martin, I'm Trevor Marshall. Catch you next time on The Model Railway Show. Oh,